So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. The most spectacular race weekend of the season is finally here. F1 is going to Las Vegas and the drivers can't wait. I think the thing I'm most looking forward to about racing in Vegas is just having the opportunity to race a Formula One car down the strip, which will be pretty cool. I'm just very excited to be there. It's gonna be a crazy weekend, a lot of people watching. I don't know what to expect from the track, but uh, I just hope that we have a very uh, exciting race. Seeing the city come to life in a different way than it already is that particular weekend is gonna be the brightest moment. You're probably gonna be able to see it from space. The race is gonna be very unique, uh, great atmosphere, so I think it's gonna be magic for all of us. I'm most excited about just experiencing a new circuit. I think it's always really fun going into the unknown, but obviously in the heart of Las Vegas, racing down the strip, that's going to be pretty exciting. It's been a while since we've been here. Keke Rosberg is the 1982 world champion of motor racing. He's done it here in Las Vegas. In 2023, F1's going all in. When you consider a location such as Las Vegas, which is known for the pinnacle of entertainment, and then you marry that with the glamour that is Formula One, our weekend is going to be off the charts. Welcome, everyone, to F1 Nation's Las Vegas Grand Prix Preview. Yes, Formula One is returning to the entertainment capital of the world this weekend for the first time since 1982. The Las Vegas Grand Prix is going to be one of the most spectacular and captivating sporting events of 2023 from the extraordinary opening ceremony this Wednesday and the paddock's wedding chapel to the circuit layout and the cold track temperatures. We're going to tell you everything you need to know about the upcoming race. We'll hear from the Las Vegas Grand Prix CEO Rene Vilm on all those topics shortly and joining me this week on F1 Nation is former McLaren driver and current Aston Martin ambassador Pedro de la Rosa. Pedro, very good morning to you. How are you? Hello Tom, very good morning. Are you excited? Absolutely, absolutely. I've never been in Las Vegas before so that is also an important factor. Uh, I think we are all stepping into the unknown we don't really know what type of track. Uh, well, we know the layout, but we don't really know the grip level, the track temperatures. Uh, there's so many unknowns to be discovered this uh, weekend. But above all, I'm pretty sure that you're excited because we are going to Las Vegas. And what happens in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas. 100%. Although I'm interested that you've never been before, because even with your racing hat on, I remember there used to be a kart race there that everyone used to do. I remember Michael Schumacher raced there in 2009, Sebastian Buemi, PK Jr., all those drivers, but no Pedro de la Rosa. No, I mean, uh, the thing is, it's I've uh, I've been in karting races after the, the, the season. I mean, in Colombia with Juan Pablo Montoya, who organized a fantastic event uh, in Cartagena. Then I've been in Dubai the 24 hours racing with Fernando and some friends, but I was never involved in that, in that race. Maybe I was... Uh, Sometimes a bit too tired to to fly, you know, that far after a 
the whole season. So, what do we need to know, Pedro, about this Las Vegas Grand Prix? Here, here are a few headline things. It's the first Saturday race in almost four decades, the last one being the 1985 South African Grand Prix that was won by Nigel Mansell at Kailami. But there have been 58 Saturday races in the history of Formula One. It's also going to be the latest race start time in Formula One history with lights out at 10 p.m. local time, which creates a bit of a, well, it certainly creates an early start for all of the people working in the mission control centers at all the factories in Europe with, I think, Pedro, at Aston Martin, people turning up at 2 a.m. for work. Absolutely. I mean, that's what it, it will be like, but I don't think that that will be an issue. We've uh, we've had that before. We, we used to racing in, uh, you know, in Japan or in, in China in the past or in uh, different locations around the world. So it, it's not an issue. You just have to set up the alarm clock uh, in a different a different time. <laughs> but it's not something that teams, Formula One teams are, are not used to. And uh, also the fact that you, you, you start working many days in advance prior to the race at that uh, time zone. The problem with, with starting that early is that you end up, usually end up very late as well. So uh, the end result is that the people sleep a lot less during these race weekends. Well, with that in mind, the schedule is slightly different this weekend. It's going to have an old school Monaco feel to it because the on-track running starts a day earlier. But of course, with no rest day on the Friday like we used to have in Monaco. The two free practice sessions, one and two, are going to take place on Thursday. Free practice three and qualifying will be held on Friday. Now, here's an interesting stat qualifying and the race are going to take place on the same day for the first time since the 2019 Japanese Grand Prix because of course qualifying starts at midnight on Friday night till 1am and then the race starts at 10pm that evening so um, that's quite intense for the drivers. I I think it's intense for everyone but really it's not an issue, Tom. It's not an issue because there's many things that are for the drivers are easy in Las Vegas. And the first thing is the temperature. You know, temperature will be helpful. Uh, dehydration levels will be very low or non-existent. The cooler it is, the easier it is for the driver. The more oxygen there is on the on on the on the air. So basically, you your pulse rate becomes lower. There are long straights in Las Vegas. So you know, every long straight means that you take a breath. You have time for a drink. You don't need to stress yourself for a, for a few seconds, so it is very easy. I think it will be a, a easy track for the race drivers. And for all of us watching, it's going to be an early one if you're in Europe, a late one if you're in the United States, and an evening race if you're in Australia. But you can find all the local timings for each session via the official Formula One app, of course. Well, let's put some context now around Formula One's return to Vegas. What sort of spectacle can we expect to see both on and off the racetrack? Las Vegas Grand Prix CEO René Villeneuve has been giving me the lowdown on the sights and sounds that we're going to experience this week. When you consider a location such as Las Vegas, which is known for the pinnacle of entertainment, and then you marry that with the glamour that is Formula One, our weekend is going to be off the charts. Think about the various types of talent that we have engaged for different parts of our circuit. We have the T-Mobile Sphere Zone, which will have Mark Ronson, Kali Minogue, Jay Balvin, Major Lazer, and more. Our opening ceremony on Wednesday night will absolutely rival a Super Bowl halftime show. And I would assure you, I am a big fan of American football. 
we are going to absolutely set an entirely new standard here. Wow, it's going to be fantastic. I have heard that the opening ceremony is going to rival halftime at the Super Bowl, but also what about the podium as well? So we had an extremely unique podium set up. We did not want to take views away from our, our paddock club guests and attach the podium to the pit building. Rather, our pit building stands alone as the VIP opportunity to enjoy the race weekend. So how do you create a podium moment? Well, what we did was take the trucks that have been created for this epic stage for opening ceremonies, and we will be reusing them right on the grid to celebrate the winners of our race. Rene, you've been at the helm of the Grand Prix for, I think, just under two years, isn't it? Can we wind the clock back? And can you tell me, what was job number one when you got the role in, in March 22? Well, the um, a little inside baseball is that I was actually the first to go to Las Vegas two and a half years ago to begin building support for this event. Um, this was during the COVID immigration restrictions. My colleagues from London were unable to come into the country. And they asked me to start going out to meet with the regulators, to meet with the LVCVA, and to start building what we hoped would be a groundswell of support for an event that would shut down the town for the weekend. And what about the paddock building? It's 300,000 square feet. I mean, tell us a little bit more about it. What are we going to find when we see that? So this building is the largest paddock club facility on the calendar. And we looked to create a building as large as possible to enable our fans to enjoy this race weekend at a level that's never been done before. It is sustainable. It is LEED certified. It also has state-of-the-art equipment for the benefit of the teams. The garages have been fully equipped with whatever the teams could request. Uh, the FIA could not have been happier when we toured them last week. So we have truly tried to tick every box on the list so that this building reaches the expectations of the entire ecosystem. And there is also a surprise wedding chapel to be found in the paddock area. Is Elvis going to marry us? <laughs> if you'd like, you could get remarried. And it'll be an amazing selfie opportunity for all of our fans. What are the challenges that have been presented just with the track layout itself? This track was not the original layout. The key was to be able to race down the strip with the iconic Vegas strip landscape behind the drivers. But exactly where the track would weave from there changed quite a few times. We needed to find a location that allowed us to establish the pit building and the garages and the grid. And that required Liberty Media to purchase the 39 acres of land. And then the rest really got built around it. We also wanted to highlight the sphere, just an incredible new venue amazing the work that MSG has done. We, we've all seen it on media. Some of us have been there in person. And to be able to highlight that new icon of Las Vegas and basically race around it, having tremendous entertainment as well as a lot of fans on property, it just all came together um, through a lot of collaboration. Well, look, we can't wait. A lot is being made of the nighttime temperatures. How how hot or cold is it going to be at 10 p.m. on Saturday night, which is race start time? Well, I think there's a range of temperatures that we could experience. Right now, we are having a pretty warm fall here in the western half of America. In the evenings, it will cool off, but we know that the cars can race probably down to 32 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, we do not think it will be anywhere near that, that temperature, but I would encourage our fans to bring hoodies and maybe buy some Formula One or LVGP swag to keep warm. It will be a little chilly, 
But I think the energy and the excitement that will be coming off of every inch of this track will keep everyone quite toasty. Oh, we love a bit of swag. Renee, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Good luck with everything this week. And I uh, can't wait to see you there. Thank you. Looking forward to it. Wow, man. That was impressive. Huh? I mean, it will be incredible. I mean, I, I'm, I'm very impressed by the fact that there's a chapel to get married. I'm a bit worried about that because my wife is not coming. So if I end up getting married again, I mean, it will be with a different woman. So, you know, yeah, but, it, <laughs> but Elvis will be marrying you. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, why don't you marry me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but do you know what, Pedro, speaking to Rene there and, and thank you again for your time, Rene, just the magnitude of, of what they're achieving this week really struck home, you know, racing down the strip and just how different an experience this is going to be for Formula One compared to 41 years ago when we last raced there in 1981, 1982. 1982 was won by the Tyrrell of Michele Alboreto and in 81 it was Alan Jones and the Williams. But that was in a car park out the back of Caesars Palace Hotel and Casino. This is a completely different game it's on the strip it's using all of las vegas it's long it's got 17 corners we're going to see huge top speeds 342 kilometers an hour which is as high as what anywhere other than monza i think so it's a huge challenge for the teams and and pedro let's talk a little bit about how we're going to prepare for the on-track bit now this weekend what is the biggest concern for the teams going to a new venue like this the first point is for the drivers it's a new layout so you basically you have to get used to uh, the the circuit the braking points uh, the shape of the curbs but that's something that you try in the simulator so typically all drivers will have been in their simulators they will have been lapping las vegas track uh, with all the information that they have from the teams however there are many unknowns for the teams and the drivers which have to do with uh, with the tire uh, with the asphalt quality, you know, the, the roughness, how much temperature the tires will build based on, on the grip level and also the atmosphere, the, the ambient temperature, which is expected to be very low. I just checked a, a weather forecast and it says that the, the minimum temperatures will be around 9, 10 degrees centigrades, which that is uh, higher than what initially we were expecting. So that's good for the tires and for the asphalt uh, temperature. However, uh, Tom, the biggest issue teams have at this type of temperatures, asphalt temperatures, is the graining. So if the track asphalt is very low, Pirelli is bringing the softest compounds, I'm pretty sure that we will see a front and rear graining, which we, we typically see in the during winter testing. It's not something that uh, teams are not used to. We are used to uh, graining, we're used to testing in the winter, not so much nowadays, but I remember this year, for example, when we shook down the, the AM R23, it was in Silverstone, it was freezing cold, and the car ran 100 kilometers without any problems. You know, we, we just close the bodywork a bit more, you blank the radiators if needed. After that, you just optimize the, the car setup. It is a big unknown, basically, because if the, the track asphalt roughness is different, it will affect the grip level. And grip level affects the downforce levels, because the lower the grip, the more high, you know, the higher the downforce uh, you have to run. It can all change very much. No matter how much hours in the simulator you've spent, you get there, they position the curbs differently, the track roughness is different, and you're suddenly in a completely different scenario. For people who don't know, Pedro, how does graining affect the car? Well, graining, it's an effect that happens in the surface of the tires, and uh, they just... Uh, 
become very rough and lose the, the you know the, the the consistency or the stability on the on the on the edge on the surface which means that there is less surface in contact with the asphalt so therefore what you end up experiencing is less grip why is this happening it is really a, a magic teams don't really know or you know tire experts it's normally when the track surface is very low and the compound is very soft the higher that the the track temperature is and the more rubbered in it is the less graining but it just makes the car go slower and if you can have front graining you can have rear graining and uh, it is always much worse to suffer rear graining than front graining but it just means you have less grip so if you can control that graining and drivers can cope with that i mean uh, can also you can push a bit less you can manage the tires the graining as well as a driver you know just not push over push uh, the slip level of the front tire for example and then you can keep the front tires alive for longer but it's difficult it's difficult especially if the track temperatures are that low and there's going to be a very long straight uh, i think 1.1 kilometers given the temperatures does that mean we're going to have problems with cold brakes and cold tires no, I, th- I think it, it will be okay. I mean, of course, that the first few runs, uh, you know, you will you can end up with cold brakes. But because of uh, graining, the fact that you can control graining in a better way is just by keeping the brakes very hot. So basically, teams will typically will work on uh, what it's called. I mean, uh, will cooling or heating in this case. Normally, we, we we try to cool the brakes. Now, in this case, we might want to heat up the brakes. You know, through the brake ducts, and that keeps the top tire temperature very high, and that helps graining. I was in the in the simulator. I mean, at home, obviously, playing with uh, with the Las Vegas track the other day, and. The, the straight is really long. It's uh, you. You have time to watch the buildings, uh, the strip. I'm pretty sure that uh, toes will play a part, and that uh, the DRS effect will be huge as well here at this uh, track. It smacks of Baku a bit, doesn't it? With the long straight at Baku, and then there are a few 90 degree corners as well. I know Mario Isla from Pirelli compared it to Baku. Uh, when we were in Brazil a couple of weeks ago. Yes, you're right. I mean, that long straight, uh, the strip is very, very vacuum style. But then the corners are very low speed. You know, I, one thing that shocked me was the amount of low speed corners that they are in this track. There's hardly no medium high speed. So you will have to get a good balance over the low, low speed corners. There's a few chicanes, last chicane, for example. I think Baku, they are more challenging high speed corners. But it's it's a nice challenge for the teams. They will be like uh, doing running par- simulator sessions in parallel while you are there testing. They will be all you know the whole team will be in the simulator trying to optimize the setups and adjusting the grip level based on the track roughness. So it's going to be an interesting uh, exercise for all the teams, all the Formula One teams. Uh, the drivers. I think that will have the easier part of it, of enjoying Las Vegas, really. <laughs> well, how many laps into FP1 will it be until the drivers think they know the circuit? How long does it take? I think that nowadays with a simulator and all the work that the, the drivers must have done before they get to Las Vegas, it's just in three or four laps, you already are in, you feel like at home. It doesn't take any longer, really. I mean, in the old days, you could do like 15, 20 laps and then just start filling the track, filling the limit. The biggest challenge for the driver is that every lap will be different in the sense that it's new asphalt, it's a new track, and the the track will evolve very fast. So you have to 
sense the grip level you will have on the next breaking point. You know, like every every lap will be different in that sense. You know, I just want to see which driver gets to the limit the first. Because sometimes incredible drivers shine with very modest cars in these type of tracks. The teams are saying that there are five main braking events around the lap. There are 17 corners. We've got the long straight and high speeds. Does this street track have the same level of intensity as somewhere like Monaco or or Baku? Yeah, it will have. Definitely a street track will always, your your stress level, your pulse is always higher than in any other permanent track because the sense of uh, breaking too late and uh, having to go straight and missing the, the walls is always there. However, the track, you know, the corners are pretty much low speed. So you know that if you miss the breaking point, you can go straight and, uh, you know, and, and, and miss the walls. It's one of those tracks that you go to the, the simulator and you start exploring the runoff areas as well. Because you need to know that if you make a mistake, how you can turn the car around and lose the minimum time. It's not only about the, the, the layout by itself. You know, it's, it's, you have to explore the, the track limits and especially the, the runoffs. There are some corners where the walls, I would say, are quite close. I think it's turn four or five. It's just a 90-degree corner that, that the wall is very, very close. And it will be one of those areas where if, if you clip the wall, it's easy to damage the, the rear suspension. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. So who do we think is going to be setting the pace this weekend? I mean, we have to talk about Red Bull, given the record they have in 2023. Are we expecting them to be beaten this weekend? Ah, difficult, Tom. I, I don't know. I mean, when you go to a new track, people t- try to, okay, it's a low speed, it's high speed track, it's a, you know, you will run medium downforce or high downforce, whatever. And then they, they try to figure out which team was competitive in those type of corners or downforce levels. Look, I what I do is I always look to the race back. And the race back was Brazil. And the most competitive team driver, again, was Max Red Bull in front of, of, of McLaren, which was extremely fast. So I always expect that a carryover from the from the last event, especially at the end of a season where teams don't really introduce uh, high or big aero packages, you know. So I expect uh, Red Bull and McLaren to be very, very strong there. What about Ferrari? Last time we went to a circuit like this, Baku, Charles Leclerc was on pole. He was also quick at the high-speed circuits like like Spa and Monza as well. Do you think Ferrari can be better this weekend than they were in Brazil? Charles did not start in Brazil, so it, it's difficult to, for me to compare, you know. But he qualified second in a very windy and slippery Brazil. You know, normally they always said that the Ferrari was bad under windy conditions. Then it was like a, there was a hurricane on the last few minutes of uh, of Q3 in, in, in Brazil, and he put it P2. So let's see. I think they will always be competitive. I think it's just a fantastic uh, end of season where you have so many teams that are doing well, that are very close, except for Max. The rest of us, I think we're all very, very close. And end of race in Brazil, for example, Tom was fantastic. It was one of those races that it was just uh, fantastic to see a fight between Checo with uh, Fernando, you know, on the last lap. That's what I expect from Las Vegas, you know, I mean, that type of racing. 
And and will the Red Bull suffer from that tire graining you talked about earlier, like everybody else, or do you think it'll have fewer issues? You never know. You know, you never know how teams react, how teams adapt, how cars adapt or drivers adapt to graining. It's a it's a bit of an unknown because we've seen cars that are extremely fast in winter testing, but that because they have such a solid rear end, they end up destroying graining the front tire. So. Is that the case for Red Bull, which have a solid rear end? We don't know. But then, Tom, the problem really is that when a driver has so much time in hand, he can really manage the tires very well. And I think uh, that's what Max does very well. He manages the tires. He has a superiority. And that gives you those two, three tens in the pocket to not push the tires that much. So difficult, difficult, but it's an interesting exercise for all of all, all the people and also for the spectators, the fans to see the graining effect as well, you know, because that's not something they are used to on a Sunday, Saturday in Las Vegas, but uh, on a Sunday race. How can you detect graining is by the onboard cameras. By the onboard cameras, the moment you can see the surface of the tire having a very black, uh, intense color, it means that the graining is happening. And it normally happens on the inner shoulder of the front tires. You mentioned McLaren. Look, before we talk about their chances in Vegas, did you see they've been running their old cars at Sonoma Raceway, Sears Point in America over the weekend? And they had Ayrton Senna, Tony Kanaan drove Ayrton Senna's 1990 McLaren. Lando was in one of Alain Prost's uh, McLaren tag Porsches from the mid 80s. You had Pato Award driving Lewis's 2008 championship winning car. They've been having an absolute ball. I'd love to know what Lando made of one of those mid-80s McLaren monsters. Yeah, it's so different, but also when you get to drive one of these jewels, you are afraid of breaking it. No, really, I've seen know, the video. Making a mistake. I've seen the video. He absolutely was not <laughs> afraid. He was getting after it big time. Yeah, until you make a mistake. I mean, or, or the car breaks down and you lose a brake uh, like Charles did no, with the Ferrari in Monaco. And then you destroy a several million car uh, jewel. So I've been there before, man. And I, I rather drive a modern Formula One car that gives you the opportunity to make a mistake and repair it rather than one of these uh, these cars. Well, look, what about the modern McLaren then? The MCL60 round Vegas, you said, well, in fact, if we were to take it literally, you said they were going to be the second fastest car maybe in Vegas. Well, they, they should be competitive. All I'm saying is that uh, they were very competitive in, in Brazil. Uh, they should be competitive in, in Vegas. The teams haven't had uh, an awful lot of time to change the cars around. So they, they will be strong for sure. Lando is extremely competitive, experienced, and, and Oscar is also a very good circuit learner. Oscar has proved that he can go to Suzuka and in a, within a few laps be there with Lando. So I think that for a, a new driver like, like Oscar, you know, to Formula One, that he's been learning new tracks, like so many new tracks this season, he will kind of uh, be used to it. On the other hand, then you have the, the, the drivers that have been racing forever in the same tracks. They will have to learn a new track, which is, uh, is they are not so much used to it. But in any case, it's only an FP1, first few laps, you know, after that, it's easy for Formula One drivers to, to learn, learn new tracks. You know, they are, they are used to it. I feel that Lando has found something with that car from the start of the triple header at Austin. The gap between him and Oscar has been slightly bigger. I know there were new tracks to Oscar, but Lando has even said that he's happier with the car now than he's been at any point this year. I'd love to know what he's found. I'm wondering if Austin was a, 
a eureka moment for him in the way that Baku was for Max Verstappen. Remember prior to Baku, it was nip and tuck between Checo Perez and Max Verstappen. And then since Miami, Max hasn't looked back. And I'm, I'd love to know what it is that Lando's found on that McLaren because he says he's happier now. It's difficult to, to say. I mean, there's so many things that you can change with these cars nowadays, uh, things that we don't see on the uh, brake shape, on the engine braking by itself, on the diff settings, things that you can adjust to your driving style and then you're suddenly a lot more competitive than your teammate just because uh, those settings suit your driving style. But one thing that I want to say, Tom, is that these modern Formula One cars are really difficult to drive. They are not easy because of the ground effect and the ground effect makes the aero balance shift from low speed to high speed corners. So effectively at high speed corners, you will have more front end than rear end. You can never really target to have a perfect car in high speed and low speed. You will always have or an understeery car, uh, a low speed and a very pointy oversteery car, high speed, but a very good car in medium speed corner. So all I'm saying is that drivers nowadays have to be adaptable. You cannot have a, a, a neutral car or I like understeer, oversteer and have always an understeery balance. It, it doesn't work like that nowadays. You have to adapt two different type of speed corners and tire degradation levels. You know, that's why the best drivers will always get the best out of the cars because cars are not perfect to drive anymore. Do you think Max was playing with Lando in the Sao Paulo Grand Prix? I think it was lap seven. Lando was all over the back of him, you know, into, into turn one and then going up through turns five and six. He was all over Max's gearbox and then suddenly it was all over. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think he was not playing in the sense of uh, getting Lando excited, you know, like some people thought so. I think that he was trying to save his tires because when you start a race, when you're with heavy on fuel load and the track is green, you always try to, uh, the first few laps, to manage your tires. Because if you damage your tires on the first few laps of a race, it's game over for the stint. That's what he was trying, you know. I think he was trying to manage his tires, keeping uh, Lando behind. Maybe he overdid it in a few occasions where Lando was too close with the DRS. But then the moment, you know, the tire temperature settled, the pressures, and he knew that the tires were ready, he pushed and he left. I think he was very clever what he did and how he did it. Showing his experience because you could argue that Lando pushed too early in the stint maybe. Yes, I think I think he was, uh, you can see with drivers like uh, Max, with Fernando as well, that he always, like Fernando in Brazil, you know, he came out of uh, with the medium tires. Checo was coming, you know, two, three tenths a lap going faster, faster. And he said over the radio to his race engineer, you know what I'm doing, yes? Basically, it was a message to keep everyone calm that he was, he wanted Checo to close the gap, get excited or use his tires. And then when, you know, he start pushing and he start building the gap again. That is fantastic. And, and in a way, that's what, the, what Max was doing with, with Lando. Fernando Alonso across the line. He gets close. He just hangs on in a superb finish to the line. It was decided for third place by 53 thousandths of a second after an entire Grand Prix distance. And look what it means to Aston Martin. Fernando Alonso on the podium for the eighth time this season. But surely that is the sweetest one of all. This is a phenomenal result for, for the team. So this podium is for them, for everyone in the factory. And uh, yeah, we keep fighting until the last lap. Let's celebrate 
your team for a minute. How confident, Pedro, were you that he was going to hang on for those last 20 laps? Uh, I was not confident. I must admit that, uh, you know, when, when, when Checo took him one lap to the end, I thought that was that, you know, because Checo was faster. He had a more genuine uh, race pace. And because we lacked top speed, you know, I mean, the reality is that we were lacking top speed. And uh, by the time that he overtook Fernando, I thought that he was going to pull the gap and he was going to get Fernando out of the DRS zone immediately. But he didn't. And he made a small mistake at the breaking point into turn one. With Fernando, you cannot make a small mistake because he's back in the hand. And uh, what Fernando is really incredibly clever as well is when he sees a bit of blood, he just goes for it and prepares very well in advance. So the moment he saw that Checo break a bit too late, over defended into turn one. He just went completely wide on the entry immediately so that he could have a go on the exit. So he's just very good at positioning the car and uh, he's just very, very complete, very clever. It was one of the sweetest podiums of the season for our, our team, or at least, uh, you know, the first one was very special in Bahrain. But this last one, after what we have gone through in the past few races, starting from the pit lane, learning from the new aero package, making uh, different combinations with the old aero package. I think that the team has gone through so much work, R&D analysis in the factory that it was especially sweet being able to be in the podium. However, Tom, if we had finished P4 and the way we would have finished P4, it would have been also an extremely good result. So I'm not saying that it's win or lose, you know, when you finish in the podium or not. I think that the most important thing is that we were fighting with Checo, with the Red Bull, until the last lap of the Brazilian Grand Prix. We qualified third and fourth. It was a really, really positive weekend from a team's perspective. How much did Fernando's brilliance flatter the car that day? He's obviously very special. I mean, come on, you know, I cannot say how good, how good he is because we all know how good he is, how clever he is and how complete he is. You wouldn't be able to do this without a, a great car, a great team behind, you know. Look at Lance's race. Lance was catching them at the end. He was extremely quick with the medium tire. He was even faster at the end of the race with the soft tire. All in all, you know, you need the best drivers, but the car also is critical uh, you know there's so many things a driver cannot control but then once again to become world champion you need that spark you know and that that's something that fernando obviously has given where the car's been for the last couple of months was this a surprise this result well i wouldn't say it was a surprise because uh, you know we i mean th there was evidence that if we had done it in the past we knew what we had to do however it was extremely rewarding in the sense that we found a good combination of uh, aero parts that worked very well between them. And that was uh, extremely rewarding for the team that had been analyzing uh, all the data in the factory. It's not an easy sport. It is a very complex. Every circuit is different. And uh, when you cannot test, that is the issue, really. You know, I mean, we wouldn't go, have to go through so much R&D analysis if we could go uh, testing for one day in Barcelona, for example, and uh, compare aero parts between cars uh, for the whole day. But we have no time. And then there are the sprint races where, you know, in one hour, what are you going to test in one hour if you just have to qualify in, in, in two, three hours time? Look, for instance, in Brazil, when we were at the race and Fernando and Lance fitted the medium tire halfway through the race, they had only done two flying laps in the sprint shootout with a medium tire. 
that's all the experience we had as a team they had as race drivers of the medium tire. How are you going to control the tire deck, the balance, the front slab adjustments? I mean, it's not only for us, I'm saying it's just for all the entire uh, grid. So if you'd had in-season testing, are you saying that you wouldn't have had the lows of Austin, Mexico? We would have had a lot more uh, information. So therefore, we would have been able to pick up the best combination of the aero packages and we wouldn't have had to start from the pit lane. That's for sure. How competitive we would have been, I'm not, I cannot say. But then again, uh, Tom, it would have been the same for other teams like Mercedes, for example. I mean, the amount of tire deck that they had in Brazil, which was incredible. I mean, that the car that had less degradation in Qatar, for example, with Russell, you know, spinning on the first lap and, and flying through the field. But then they go to, to Brazil and they have huge degradation. And they had huge degradation in the sprint race on Saturday and then on the race on Sunday, having been able to change cooling parameters of the car, of cooling parts. And why is that? Well, there's no testing. So I like it. I'm not saying it's I would change anything. It's just it's a huge challenge for all, all, the, all the teams. And are you confident that Aston can be competitive at the last two races? Absolutely. I mean, I think we are at a very good uh, position. We understand many of the things that we've tried in the past few races, and now we have come up with a good combination that works for us. So I'm confident we are in the right avenue. Are we going to be in the podium in the next few races? I have no idea. The important thing really is to close the gap to Red Bull. Because we have to look ahead as well, you know, and uh, we think we are now in the in the good avenue and the, the whole factory is excited. Lance needed that P5 in Brazil, I felt. He needed that result. And did you sense him very pumped up after the race? Absolutely. Well, I mean, I think that Lance has been driving exceptionally well in the past few events, not only in Brazil. But also in Mexico, you know, with under difficult circumstances, he was flying, flying and really driving a very difficult car exceptionally well. Then in Brazil, he was again at many stages of the weekend. He was faster than Fernando. He even out qualified him on a very, I repeat, a very tricky qualifying session. And then in the race, it was not only qualifying on race pace. He was uh, closing the gap to Checo and Fernando. So this is just uh, just a proof that what he can do. Let's talk Mercedes now. Their team principal, Toto Wolff, described the Sao Paulo Grand Prix as their worst weekend in 13 years. Now, I think he's exaggerating the point. I thought they weren't particularly good in Austria this year. I thought Singapore last year wasn't a great one. But Lewis Hamilton finished P8 in Brazil and George Russell had to retire his car as the team struggled with a distinctive lack of race pace and excessive tyre deg, as you've already said. And Toto Wolff was left almost speechless. Inexcusable performance. There's even no words for that. That car finished second uh, last week and the week before. And whatever we did to it was um, horrible. I mean, I can only feel for the two driving such a miserable thing. So it shows how difficult the car is. It's on the knife's edge. We've got to develop that better for next year because it can't be that within seven days you're, you're finishing on the podium solid. One of the two quickest cars and then you're nowhere and finish eighth. This car doesn't deserve a win. That was Toto speaking to Sky at Interlagos after the race. I think he's being very hard 
on that car and that team. Yes. I mean, there is this phrase I love, which says what people say, what people do, and what they say they do are entirely different things. So <laughs> so I think that Toto was extremely harsh on, on, on the car, especially, but I'm pretty sure that they will turn up in Las Vegas. They will have done their homework and they will be fighting for a race win again. You know, Let's not forget that Luis was second. In Austin, okay, he was disqualified, but he was second. He was also flying on the past few events since they introduced the, the new Aero package. So let's wait and see, you know. I'm, I'm pretty sure that if they win the next one, they will say that it was, uh, this car deserves a win. So <laughs> let's make it difficult for them. And it's been now more than a year since the team has won the race because George Russell won in Brazil last year. But how easy is it, Pedro, to make a setup error that ruins your entire weekend? It is easy nowadays, especially on a sprint weekend, because uh, you enter Parferme once you qualify on the, on the Friday afternoon. You don't know how the track will evolve, how much uh, it will go into an understeery or oversteery territory. So it is easy to make a mistake with ride heights, for example. And because we come from Austin, where, uh, you know, Mercedes, especially in Ferrari, they were disqualified for running too low and uh, having too much plank wear. Then you are obviously trying to be extra safe, possibly. You start racing the car a bit too much. Ground effect doesn't work that well in, in at this type of ride heights or once you get over the operating window. So it's easy to get it wrong. And once you get it wrong, you cannot change the car setup. And this is something that people know. And uh, and that's what really you can optimize the balance a bit with the front flap angle. And that's it. You can play with tire pressures. But that's about it. I mean, all the rest is already decided by midday on a, on a, on a Friday. And that's what possibly Mercedes, uh, for us, it was very painful in Mexico and in, in Austin. But it's part of the game, you know, and uh, we shouldn't complain about it. You know, it, it didn't work for Aston Martin in the last, uh, you know, the, those two race events. But how good was it for the spectators, really, to make teams, drivers having to adapt not to really difficult cars to drive? Okay. And and with Red Bull and Max Verstappen way out the front in both world championships, Mercedes are deeply involved in the drivers and the constructors. Lewis Hamilton and Checo Perez in that battle for P2. And, uh, and then, of course, in the constructors, Mercedes battling Ferrari as well. So that's one area of interest as we go into the Las Vegas Grand Prix. But Pedro, under the current regulations, do you think it's possible for Mercedes to catch up with Red Bull? next year or are they too far behind okay we are all far behind but it depends which event you look at you know there's uh, some events where mercedes has been extremely close in austin for example you know uh, we've we've been very close in monaco for example you know even fighting for pole position until the last lap it just very much depends you know uh, i think that year on year teams make huge steps and a team like Mercedes, we can expect everything from them. You know, we've seen that before. So I think that whatever happens, I don't know if we, if they will be in front, if they will be behind, if we will be able to catch up. But one thing is for sure, we will be a lot closer. All of us. This is part of the of the developing game, uh, Formula One. Is that the pack's best opportunity of beating Max Verstappen and Red Bull next year? Is to design a car that is going to be brilliant at a specific type of racetrack. Say, look, we're not going to beat them over an entire season. We accept that we're too far behind. But what we can do is design a car that's going to be brilliant at Monaco 
and go and win the Monaco Grand Prix or design a car that is very fast in a straight line and say, we're going to win Monza? No, good question, Tom. But I've never been in a Formula One team that designs a car targeting one racetrack. I mean, that doesn't work like that because in that moment, you are assuming that you will you will not be competitive in many different tracks. So what teams do is try to make the car work at every type of high, of speed corners, like different ride heights, and that try to make the envelope as wide as possible. And that's what everyone does. Don't think that anyone develops a car for a specific racetrack. Sometimes you end up having a very competitive car for a specific racetrack, but you were not expecting that. And that's the reality of, uh, of modern Formula One. Come on, Pedro, you've worked for Ferrari. I, I remember back in the day, it, Monza was everything for that team they would turn, <laughs> well they would turn up with a new engine they turn up with specially designed everything for monza no that that is true that is true that they, in this case particular case and even this year they change engine you know they put their fresh engines for monza so in a way yes you base your strategic decisions around a specific track yes but strategic decisions based on uh, on performance uh, you know on the engine uh, freshness or uh, how how many mileage available you have but not designing a car for monza i mean how imagine that we designed any team design a car good for monza it would only be one racetrack i'm pretty sure you could make it extremely fast and efficient but then there's no other track in the calendar that has any similarity to Monza, so you would be really struggling for the championship. Well, we know that Singapore is the Achilles heel of Red Bull Racing, so go for Singapore. You know they're weak there. (laughs) (laughs) I I wish we went now with what we have learned to Singapore, because it would be extremely interesting to see Lance and Fernando with the current car. You give them a good car and they fight for victories, that's for sure. Well, Pedro, it's the first Las Vegas Grand Prix for 41 years. We're all incredibly excited. Just how much extra motivation will there be for the drivers, you know, to be that first winner of this new event? Well, I think that they will be motivated to have fun in Las Vegas, in the new experience. I mean, in the sense that we always go to the same tracks, we follow like routines. And when you go to a different track, a different atmosphere, a different time of the race, different temperature as well, different days of the week in a, such a special venue like Las Vegas, it's exciting. I'm excited. I'm flying you know, tomorrow to Las Vegas. I'm extremely excited. I've never been there. And I think it's the same for most of the drivers. You know, When I say fun, it's not that uh, going out or going to a casino or something like that. It's just the fact of being there, being at such an iconic place. The sphere by itself, I want to see the sphere. I want to uh, at least not even, I mean, I'm pretty sure I won't be able to go inside, but just from the outside, you know, I just want to be there. And that's about uh, how cool it is. And will the off-track distractions affect performance? I mean, you say they're not going to go to the casinos, but they will have a bit of fun, won't they? Yeah, but uh, it won't It won't have any distraction whatsoever. I mean, the worst Grand Prix for a race driver is your home Grand Prix. Because it's a Grand Prix, you have most events, you want to keep all your friends, family, sponsors, uh, people that have helped you in the past, happy and give a bit of your time. But when you go to a Grand Prix like Las Vegas, okay, you will have a lot of promotional events and stuff, but it won't take you know an edge out of them. And we always have Sunday to enjoy after, no? after the race. 
Although I, I hear that some of us are leaving on Sunday very early morning, Tom. Yeah, well, I'll just push on through, Pedro. <laughs> I just won't go to bed after the race. You're talking about, <laughs> you know, the, the pressure of a home race. Just spare a thought for Logan Sargent this weekend. A home race with all that pressure in Las Vegas. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, that's right. <laughs> He's got a lot going on. But look, a very quick reminder to our dear listeners, the full opening ceremony this Wednesday, the lineups as follows. We've got Andra Day, Bishop Briggs, Jay Balvin, Journey, Keith Urban, Steve Aoki, Swedish House Mafia, 30 Seconds to Mars and Will I Am, plus appearances by Blue Man Group and Cirque du Soleil. And you can watch the opening ceremony on the F1 YouTube channel. And a quick shout out actually to Rene Vilm and her team. Because I think it's worth mentioning that the promoters are aiming to make this event the first net zero water consumption race in Formula One history. Well, what does that mean? Well, this is going to be done by installing an atmospheric water generator to capture water vapour that would otherwise be considered waste product. Now, that is very Formula One, isn't it? It's then going to be returned back into the system to create drinkable water, and this will then offset the expected outdoor water usage during the Grand Prix weekend. So well done to Rene and her team for that. Well, Pedro, podium predictions. Oh, why don't you go first? Me go first. Well, the thing is, I've got to the point in the season where I almost don't want to say what I think is going to happen because we've all slightly done with that, aren't we? In terms of who's going to win the race. But I guess we've got a lot of people listening to this about to enter their F1 fantasy teams. And actually, if you know the record of F1 Nation racing this year, you'd be doing well to ignore what I'm about to say. <laughs> but, uh, well, I think Max Verstappen is going to win it. I think tyre graining will be less. I think the DRS effect on that Red Bull is going to be amazing. And Max is just on a roll. He wants to extend his, his record of wins this year. So Max for the win. I think Charles Leclerc is always great when he's got his back against the wall. And I think after that, DNS did not start in Interlagos last time out. He'll be wanting to correct that. So I'm going Charles Leclerc P2 and Lando Norris P3. There you go, Pedro. Don't copy me. Okay, of course I won't copy you, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I will go for Max. I will go for Lando, second. And third. I shouldn't go for my team. It will. It wouldn't be correct. No, it's fine if you think genuinely he's got a chance. No, because I genuinely think we have a chance. But however, I'm so bad at predictions that if I predict something, it won't happen. So therefore, I I put Checo third, which I think that uh, is a quite a sensible uh, prediction. Hope to be wrong, and probably I'm wrong. The Red Bull is going to be very good, isn't it? Have you always been superstitious like that, even when you were racing? Yeah, I mean, uh, I've had my part of uh, super superstition as you get older you lose superstitions in a way but there's one thing that i've always kept in my life is whenever i jump into a race car even a go-kart i always jump from the left hand side because that's the first time i did it was from the left and i remember nikki when i was racing for jawa racing nikki lauda he got really angry at me because he said why on earth do you always come uh, in and out of the car from the left-hand side? And I said, Nicky, because it's a superstition. And he said, but it's much faster at some racetracks to go on the right-hand side and there's more space for the mechanics. And I said, Nicky, that's how it is, man. He said, you have to change this. Superstitions are really not important in motor racing. But uh, still. I can hear know. him saying that. <laughs> I can hear every word yes. coming out of his mouth. 
Well, look, one final thing from me is for fans of Braun Grand Prix, the documentary about that incredible 2009 season is coming out on Disney Plus on the 15th. So on Wednesday of this week, it's an unbelievable story, Pedro. I think you were test driver for McLaren back then, but from the ashes of Honda. Yeah, I was uh, I was at McLaren. Definitely. I remember that year very well. Uh, Brown GP. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic season. Ross Braun bought that team from Honda for one pound and then goes and wins the world championship. It's anyway, it's a stunning, stunning documentary. So make sure you watch that. But Pedro, thank you very much for your time. And I'll see you either in the wedding chapel or in a casino in Las Vegas. I hope to see you in the flight back to Europe. I hope not to see you in the, especially in the, in the, in the chapel. <laughs> Well, I mentioned our fantasy team, so let's check in with F1 Nation Racing now. With Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes in our team, the Sao Paulo Grand Prix wasn't our most prosperous weekend yet. We scored just 206 points, most of those thanks to our combination of Lando Norris and McLaren. In the F1 Nation World Championship, TJGP67 has a 50-point lead at the top, but we have a new team in P2. Congratulations to Time to Cool Gene, who are 22 points ahead of MLN Racing in third. Pedro and I both seem confident in Ferrari's chances this weekend, so we're going to replace Mercedes with the Scuderia as one of our constructors, and we'll bring in Charles Leclerc for Lewis Hamilton. So that's a lineup of Leclerc, Sainz, Norris Piastri and Ricardo, plus Ferrari and McLaren. And don't forget, you have until the start of qualifying to make changes to your team. And this weekend, F1 Fantasy is giving you the chance to win two tickets to the 2024 Las Vegas Grand Prix. All you need to do is go to fantasy.formula1.com and enter your team into the One Hit Wonder League. If you're new to F1 Fantasy, then you can still create a team and join the league. The winner will receive two three-day grandstand tickets to next year's race in Vegas. And there are also prizes up for grabs if you finish P2 or P3. So get stuck into that, the One Hit Wonder League. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you very much to Pedro and to you, of course, for listening. Enjoy what's set to be a historic weekend for Formula One and make sure you come back next Monday for our in-depth reaction and more expert analysis from the heart of the paddock in our Las Vegas Grand Prix review. F1 Nation is produced by Formula One and Audio Boom Studios. <laughs> <laughs>